Hello world, I'm Del Hussain and this is the Wow Mind. So Jim, um, I'm going to talk normal, right? And we'll get it going and it'll all okay. be edited anyway. But, uh, but I am here with uh, Jim Craig, Reverend Jim Craig, and it's my pleasure to be talking to you, Jim, because I met you, I think, about two years ago in um, the launch of the London Festival of Architecture. And that was um, phenomenal. You came in this big, you're huge, six foot. About six four. four. Six foot four. Stand out a bit. Stand out a bit. Green habit, red hair. And everyone, all the architects were looking around like, <laughs> who is this guy? You know, so it was great. You were very mesmerizing, I think, is the word. I do get, uh, yeah, that kind of response <laughs> wherever I go for some but, reason. But then I got talking to, because I couldn't quite work out whether actually you were a musician and this was a, a stage look. Mm. Or actually, you're eccentric, and now I've found out <laughs> subsequently you're probably both as well. Yeah, yeah, I am. Say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jim, you were in the north of England originally, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I was ordained in Durham Cathedral in 2002, uh, and really, I've been up north. I had been up north by then all my life. So um, being further up north kind of made sense, even though when I first arrived and I told them I was from Leeds, they all said, that's the sooth, as if to say I wasn't a true northerner. But I had a real heart for the northeast, for, for especially working class communities. And yeah. Um, yeah, ended up being chaplain to the arts in Gateshead for 11 years, which was just amazing. Did you always know that you wanted to go into the parish and become a preacher? Not at all, no. Um, Part of me is still just a little bit, <laughs> dare I say it, surprised by it, if not freaked out by it. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't on the cards at all. I, I hate rules and I hate being told what to do. And I hate this word institution. Yeah. And we are a, a fairly big and long-standing institution with a lot of rules and a lot of guidelines. Um, and I went to art college in 93, feeling, I suppose, a bit like an outdated punk, just, just wanting to you know, rip things apart. And then within a year, oddly enough, and it was oddly enough, I, I, I became a Christian. Didn't want it, but also couldn't reject it because of the, I was just getting so much, so many answers to my questions. And it was, it, I was quite a miserable student following a lifetime of, of eczema and confidence was just nil and just very very anxious despite having a big personality which i kind of inculcated to get over shyness and get over that anxiety and pain i my university chaplain prayed with me and i thought sod it i've tried drink i've tried you know <laughs> i've tried sort of mild drugs um, and I've tried books and I've tried intellectualizing the world and pain and uh, you know, I let this weird guy put his, you know, to say some prayers and I felt something. Mm. You shouldn't always just go by feelings, but there was an intellectual side to the conversion as well. And that was just the beginning of, oh my goodness, there's stuff 
hidden behind, you know, the veneer of life that you just do not give credence for yeah. until someone makes you stop and think and, and challenge your own prejudices. So, yeah, I would have how, given... How old were you at this point? I was 20 when I went to uni because <laughs> one of the biggest themes in my life is failure. <laughs> so I got three E's and a D for my A-levels, but I got into art college on the basis of my portfolio. Um, failed to get into any course following my foundation year in Leeds. So I had to take a year out, which is why I was older than the other students. And then, yeah, so arrived aged in Hull, age 20, nearly 21. And um, <laughs> three years later, failed my art degree. Right. And eventually had to finish it while staying with some monks in Durham, which is another story. Mate. And they basically paid for me to go through the Open University and, and sort of, you know, finally get my degree. So this theme of, of education and failure and confidence and people giving me second chances so close to my heart, which is perhaps why I'm a university chaplain now. Well, I mean, in that, it's a really interesting point you mentioned there, that you'd tried everything. You'd tried reading books, you'd tried obviously talking to friends, you'd tried, uh, let's call it external influences. <laughs> yes. um, and then and nothing hit home. And then it was actually talking to this chaplain that gave you something. Mm. Mm. And and how did that conversation go? What was it? What did you go and say? What? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel like this. You know? <clears throat> I think for me, it was... It was a number of things. It was someone giving me a chance, and I looked weird, <laughs> still do to a certain extent, but a lot of the uh, my fellow new friends, new Christian friends at the time, looked like kind of fairly ordinary students. I wouldn't say, say they looked stereotypically Christian with, you know, sandals, whatever, but I stood out, and uh, they all gave me a chance and welcomed me and the chaplain at the time gave me a chance and welcomed me. And also, he, he would take, his starting point was always where you were. So at the time, I was reading Nietzsche, Plato, just, just stuff that you knew through, through, you know, what, through A-level art and just studying that these were big influences, not just in the art world, but in, 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 in philosophy and in life. I thought, go on, I'm going to have some of that. Didn't understand an awful lot of it. Uh, read Origin of Species, just thinking, I mean, I shouldn't, surely this will help me kind of yeah. get to grips with, with, with what life is all about. And, 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 and then for some odd reason, I started reading the Bible I was given when I was confirmed. And confirmation at that time was something my whole family went through. It was just kind of rite of passage. So I had this book on the shelf that I'd rarely, rarely read and just picked it up. And over about 18 months, two years, read the whole thing. And it started to kind of connect with other bits of thought. And I was just reading it as a story, I suppose, which, to be honest, is the best way to read it. There's no pressure of interpretation or working out what you're meant to see in it. Just read it for yourself. And at that, just at the time I met um, David, who uh, was so kind of down to earth, all his students called him the Rev., uh, I was in the book of Job, which is really quite miserable. It's, right. it's, it's about suffering and it's, it's about God allowing 
Satan, who is you know, officially in the Old Testament, the accuser. We've given him the name Satan since, but really he's the, he's the accuser. And he's, he's given free reign to punish Job to test him and it's, it's kind of really annoying like, like how dare you do that but it's it was interesting because Job gets covered in sores I had a lot of eczema at the time and there's an awful lot of um, Job holding God to account desperate to see God face to face beyond I suppose the the rules and you know regulations of religion and he sees him face to face but not in something pretty and wonderful and, and sort of like looking over nature and a panorama like Wordsworth and going, ah, I saw him in a whirlwind and a whirlwind blinds you. Mm. So there's something about seeing God in, in an inability to see beyond yourself. Yeah. And yet somehow that presents easy, that presents God to him. So I just, I was reading through this and just going to the Rev and saying, what's this about? And I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, would, he wouldn't try and press anything on you. He would just say, oh, have you thought of this? When I see you've, you're troubled with that, so have you thought about it this way? And it was that mix of charisma, faith. I don't think I'd really met anyone of faith before who seemed to believe that God could be present with you or do something with you or heal you, and he was into praying for you and telling you that, you know, that, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to give you a blessing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it was a mix of these things. Integrity, I think, is the biggest thing. The yeah. Integrity and having this, this, this sense of, of, of really believing what he, you know, really believing in this weird God thing, that there was some remnant of blessing that was still around now and not just 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just history. It was somehow present history as well as the past. So you're this young man, you're looking for meaning, you're looking mm. for a direction, and you you met somebody who who had the empathy. Yeah, yeah. Gave you a shoulder and, and started <clears throat> to open up uh, in an area when you were already reading philosophy. Yeah. Um, and that gave you a direction that you could you could hold on to. So what, what did you take that direction? I mean, because one of the questions will be, and I think it's the question that a lot of people are asking themselves right now, is why? What is it all about? Why? Why are we here? What is it all for? And I think particularly when you're a 20-something-year-old a and your life's ahead of you, you are looking for that meaning. You're looking for that purpose. I think the older we get, we're still looking for it. It doesn't go away. But I think we it's almost like through conditioning you you learn to blank it out a little bit mm, until yeah. you get too old and then you start crapping yourself um and then a lot of people find some kind of faith late in life almost as a result of i've tried everything else and and i'm kind of well maybe this is the way but you found it early mm. yeah it's interesting interesting you mentioned the word early because most of the people I was hanging out with at that time and Christian Union, etc., seemed to have been Christians most of their lives. So I actually felt quite old at the time. And um, I almost felt embarrassed that I was old and coming to this quite late, which is, is, is interesting, isn't it? Um, but I think I just, I just found permission to be myself. Mm. Like, like a lot of people I've spoken to since, I, I have lovely, lovely parents. 
but they didn't really encourage me to, well, they didn't listen particularly well. And I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping they don't listen to this because I love them to bits. But I think, you know, I'm one of five children and I think I, I don't like to use the word suffer, but I think I suffered with a very small S through being the youngest for six right. years. Then my younger brother came along, my younger brother, very loud, very confident. Uh, and, and I think that just triggered a whole repeating pattern of, of how do I get my voice heard? Mm. And to get over that, I became loud. Mm. And, and somehow that loudness gave me the confidence to do all kinds of weird things, like, you know, go to a Rocky Horror Show, mm. fully dressed up on my own, because no one else in my village wanted to go. And I think, how did I get the confidence to do that? But it just <laughs> came, because I was sick of being left out yeah. and, and not having opportunities to do stuff. But by the time I got to uni, I realized that it was all facade. I just had no inner confidence at all, but I could fake it really yeah. well. But do you believe in that thing of fake it till you make it, you know, where you 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 say, this is how I'm going to be, I'm going to start behaving like that, and eventually it becomes natural? I think that can trigger a burst of confidence that you need, but you th I think in the long term you need something else. Hmm. I've done all kinds of big and brave things, which at the time just felt like, well, uh, I have to do this for my job, don't I? I have, to, I have to work out how to focus in a funeral and not get swept up with all the emotion, especially if it's a tragic funeral. And when I talk to people now, they go, oh, I must take an awful lot of confidence. Like, well, you just kind of have to do it, really. And, and, and it helps the fact that we believe as, 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 as priests, bishops, deacons, uh, and, and all the way down to you know, everyone who volunteers in the church, we all have a role because, and God chooses you to do that role because he believes you can do it and you've got the skills. So it helps that you can recall the fact that not only have I been ordained and a bishop has laid hands on me and, and, and sort of prepared me for this role, but then to get through to the interview, the interview stage is quite rigorous. So a lot of people have found you you know, worthy for this position and right for this position. And that, the memory of that gives you confidence the first few years. But I found the last sort of two or three years, my sort of run of confidence has gone, or started to go, <laughs> I thought, well, what's, what's gone wrong? I just naturally was just floating. Oh yeah, I can do that. I can strip off by the quayside and, and, and not worry too much I, about I it. I heard about I can this. do yeah. this, I can do that. And suddenly, so yeah, it's interesting, I think, You've got to dig deep, and I'm digging yeah. really deep now. And that's interesting that after 18 years of ministry, I'm coming to the end of that crest of natural confidence, and I'm really, really digging deep about, you know, can I, can I really do this? What's, what's challenging your faith in that case? Is it your faith that's being challenged, or is it your, is it your optimism? What is it? It's optimism. It's confidence. It's Hmm, perhaps even my right to see myself in this role. I don't think it's really a crisis of faith. It's just a crisis of confidence. Um, and it's, I think we all have support network in life that, that gives you a, the, the extra boost. For me, a huge part of that boost was having a supportive wife. Hmm who um, who was a Christian and who was very supportive of my ministry and 
um, was willing to a large extent uh, to to dedicate herself to bringing up with my two children and um, just being a generally supportive at home and in church and understanding the motivations for ministry because um, it is it can be a 24 7 seven days a week role where mm. you, you even when you're at home and there's nothing on there's a potential of the phone ringing and you suddenly needed to go and pray with someone so you need someone who understands those pressures and can deal with those pressures so I had a huge amount of confidence until <laughs> until uh, until um, two and a half years ago where, where almost out of the blue she sat me down and said look I, I think I think I might be bisexual or, or perhaps gay and it was just like wow mm. and that was after nearly 19 years of marriage mm. and then that was kind of the beginning I wouldn't say it was the beginning of the end of my confidence but it's just started this cycle of gosh that the marriage was totemic it was such a confidence boost of thinking I've had a difficult day, but there's the fact that somebody's there for you and loves you unconditionally is just massive. And yeah, I, I've had massive support uh, from the church, from colleagues, and especially from this group called uh, Straight Partners Anonymous. And And one of the common denominators is that there is something in the person that suddenly the gay spouse in 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 coming out that almost breaks their personality changes overnight so now i've had this almost complete stranger to deal with through so you've the been divorce watching process. this transformation mm. but it was overnight it was all it, overnight it was suddenly zero affection and uh, so that just sent me to yeah, re a really dark place, a really dark place. I know I can do this, but can I? This constant self-doubt. And then because of the way I've been brought up, I have this instant reticence to ask for help because I think the response from my parents was often just, oh, there's other people in the world worse off from you. And um, just knuckle down, which is not, it's not so, brilliant, but it's not awful. You know, they, they were doing their best with five children and, and you know, busy life. So I, I, yeah, so I just had to kind of steal myself to keep on asking for help and keep on just using have, every resource and not feeling ashamed. Have you found, you know, your, your faith has been something you have been heavily turning and, you know, turning to for this? Because I guess when things like this, not necessarily the full extent of what you've gone through, but when people certainly go through divorce and they suddenly feel that loss, um, a lot of people, certainly friends I've had, they just go into kind of a depression, really, because they, they have nothing else that they believe in. And this was it, this person. Whereas I think for you, you've, you've got this underlying something, this secret mm. weapon. Um, but it, I guess the point is you still have a big loss. You have a big hole, but you, you it's, it's almost like, you know, they say time heals. And I think in time, it, it kind of, it, I don't know if it heals or if you just get used to it, you know, and you learn to adapt. How is, is that kind of along the lines of where you are now? Because that's now two years, is it? Um, it's two and, two and a half years since, yeah, since that conversation I mentioned. Yeah. Um, 
two years since I've been on my own with the children, two years last September. Um, I think it's any crisis faces you a bit like <laughs> the book of Job. It faces, with, faces you with your own prejudices, often towards yourself. So I'm, I'm wondering where my confidence has gone a lot of the time and how this person who could just walk into a room with strangers now has to kind of steal himself to do that. I can still do it. I just have to kind of think, right, <clears throat> mm -hmm. come on, God, give me that extra bit of which I had before just to be the gym I used to be. And I suppose the truth is our sense of self is, is changing all the time. So it's, it's taking the time to... To be compassionate with yourself, that yeah. you're not the same person now. You were five, ten, you know, eighteen years from my when I was priested, and just I think life is is about a kind of um, old-fashioned um, adventure. Really, you're kind of carving new territory, even when we persuade ourselves that oh, I've done this before, and you know, this year is bound to be the same as last year. You know, we're still kind of with there was big kind of old-fashioned knives that used to get through the forest. You're still kind yeah. of who am I today? And yeah, have the, how weird things have become in the four nearly four and a half years I've been in London. So we've had. Yeah, I'm not complaining, but it's always good. I'm a talker, so it's good for me to just just process these things. So I've got two wonderful children, uh, who you know one. My daughter was devastated at leaving her friends behind, of course, in uh, you know in Gateshead. Um, since then, my son has been diagnosed with high-functioning Asperger's, which which kind of came to the diagnosis came to fruition through through quite a lot of anxiety, and um, a small amount of of self-harm, which was quite alarming for parents. And then um, my daughter's going through similar. Uh, diagnostic procedure at the minute. We, we, she's showing similar signs of, of, of some kind of ASD. Um, she also was diagnosed with um, hearing impairment three years ago. So that kind of mingles with her uh, anxieties about socialising and making friends with not being able to hear. And of course, she misses her mum hugely. And I think it's taken a full two and a half years for me to learn not to be defensive when she shows these effects, these mannerisms and, and, and all, all the anxieties that, that come across as being quite scary when you're a parent as, gosh, my children are suffering and I can do nothing about it, really. Um, Norm normally, people would turn to someone like you to talk about these yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. So you've probably been through this in Gateshead, I would imagine, which is the kind of like the harsh industrial north uh, mm. where you, you you've had i would imagine um a lot of people uh w with divorces with with children who are who are not altogether happy um and they just need advice they need someone mm. to to give them a steer yeah so who i mean you've what have you been turning for this how have you been maintaining yourself because everyone is expecting here comes jim Giant Jim, um, <laughs> you you are the guy that people look at and turn to to lift them, and then when all of a sudden you need lifting, where does the lifter go? I process things 
much quicker through talk. So I've had to hand select some new friends um, to trust. And we've all got annoying friends uh, who, who often come to us and, and you want to avoid them because you know they're going to kind of just, just verbally assault you with stuff. Now, I've become that person and I've tried very, very hard to kind of hold it back and not to bring it out <laughs> in sort of meetings and things, not to be too indulgent. So I've chosen, um, yeah, a handful of, as I said, mostly new friends. And um, I've been incredibly blessed through, in four years, I've got to say, I found London the hardest place I've ever been to make friends because everyone is just super busy and everyone is just fighting their own private battles. That's, uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have made several friends who who um, have been kind enough to kind of say, yeah, you know, I've only known you a year or so, but let, you know, I'll take you out for a pint and have a chat. And interestingly, apart from the fact that there's a number of colleagues, uh, fellow chaplains, etc., at, at King's who have been incredibly supportive, you know, they've just been very, very kind and, you know, persuading me who likes to kind of work through issues by working hard just to take time off and to go and collect my daughter from school and not feel bad about that and not feel bad about, you know, the demands of parenthood. So I've been incredibly blessed, but um, I've also been just a little bit disappointed about how much support has come from the place that employed me for so long, the diocese. So I'd say God always surprises you with, with who is there. It's not always the people you expect. It's not always the people you expect, but I certainly haven't been left without assistance. It's just, you know, when you look hard, friends come out of the woodwork and people you think are friends disappear, which is very, very sad. So it's quite telling, actually, when you go through these traumas in life, that that's the point that you realise this is what's real. Yeah. And yeah, this is who yeah. people are. And they're the people I can trust and rely on. And uh, 